the next train doesn't come for an hour. Please don't kick me off the train. I'll wear the mask. And the conductor wouldn't, this, this went on for half an hour. And so a train full of people was held up for this. And I could see the conductor was getting so much joy out of, uh, out of this. And he was getting so much joy out of this announcement. Um, so I, I think you're really onto something. And so you get to, you get to have power other over, ugh, over other people and you get to do it on, on the guise of being virtuous and being better. And he was, this, in any other context, this would be recognized as just bullying. And welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm talking to Janine Yunus, who is a contributor at the American Institute for Economic Research, a New York City public defender who believes lockdowns constitute human rights violations, and a left-wing lockdown skeptic they are rare to find. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. So before we start, I have to make two plugs. First of all, my book has just been released. So uh, if you're interested in how politics is being affected by social media and how disaster capitalism is going to try and take advantage of Brexit, please go and order it. The link is in the description below. And also you can get uh, 12 months with 35% off on ExpressVPN. It's also uh, the link in the description below. So Janine, when was the first time that you realized that lockdowns were causing like a real damage or, or like what was the first time it like dawned on you that like this was going to hurt people? Um, really the very beginning. Uh, I mean, I just thought you can't really stop the world in its tracks. You know, the, the world is really interconnected. It's really complicated. And if we just stop something here, that's going to have ripple effects throughout the world. So it's sort of an instinctual reaction. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I live in New York City. I represent a lot of poor clients. Um, and I know a lot of people don't have the greatest living situations. They have, you know, eight family, uh, eight people who live in one small apartment, um, kids who really rely on meals to get schools, kids who are abused at home and really rely upon the school system um, in order to have people to tell about that abuse. Um, you know, they tell their friends, well, now they can't play with their friends. <laughs> Uh, so I just immediately saw all of these problems with it. And I suspected that over time, the, um, you know, I wouldn't say uh, at the very beginning, I had much evidence to support it, but my gut sort of told me that over time, the uh, effects in terms of life years lost was going to be much higher um, because of lockdowns rather than because of the coronavirus. And I think that the past year has just shown that. I mean, there are more and more studies coming out about young adults and depression and all of these, you know, what this is doing to children, what isolation is doing to them. Um, and I think we're only beginning to see the effects, I think, over, you know, another thing is a lot of people miss cancer screenings and other medical treatments, which is causing deaths. I think those will, will show over, manifest more over time uh, as time goes on. Now, it's it's honestly been been a little strange because for me, I don't understand, like, why any of those like things that you mentioned, suicides, like mental health problems, cancer screenings, things like that. Like whenever that gets that gets brought up, it's it sort of just it's not even considered. Like, you know, if if we had to had the like a discussion about it, maybe people could say, okay, there's there's like a fair chance that the the deaths from COVID, like in this hypothetical discussion, would be higher than the damage caused by by this. But like to even even raise it as a point for discussion almost is is seen as 
denying the existence of COVID in some cases or or just being callous and like you want to kill everyone's grandparents and like why do you think that 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 COVID has become like the biggest fear overall like any any other like everything has to be sacrificed in in some like scenarios seemingly just because of of COVID like what why is there no no balance there um, well, I have a couple of theories. <laughs> One is that, so, you know, sort of early on, there was a question about how serious this was. And I think whether this maybe was a real risk to younger people, um, you know, not the very elderly only, or I should say mainly. Um, you know, and I could understand if we, if this was the Black Plague or, uh, you know, if, if something with the death rate of measles or mares had gotten around the world, okay, well, we have to put everything aside and can, you know, work to control this if that's possible. Uh, so I think early on there was a question as to whether it could have been like that, but very quickly we had, you know, I'd say by the end of January, we had data from China. Um, we knew that this wasn't that sort of virus. So that doesn't, ex that doesn't explain what's happening now. I think, I think the politics was a lot of it. And I think U.S. politics, especially um, where Donald Trump sort of waffled at the beginning. He said he didn't seem to take it that seriously and he went back and forth a little bit. I mean, he never knows, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing at <laughs> any time. Um, and I, but he's so reviled on the left and rightly so. I mean, I understand why people don't like him. I don't like him. Um, but I think that that sparked this automatic reaction that like, well, if Trump, Trump doesn't think this is that serious, it must be that serious. And it must be that we have to do everything we can. And anyone who doesn't agree is immoral. I think that's probably where it started, although it doesn't explain the UK or other countries, unless, except maybe the Trump effect kind of, you know, is, is broader than the United States. I mean, I'd be skeptical about that, but, but yeah, it, 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 so, so then if it's, if it wasn't like the, the, the Trump effect, like solely, what, what were the other factors involved? Do you think? I mean, I think there was a lot of hysteria, as I said at the beginning, I think people just really didn't have a good picture of what, what was going on. And some people I think just got it etched in their brains that they were going to die of this if they got it. I, I have friends who are otherwise healthy, you know, in their thirties and really think that this poses a significant risk to them, even though the data is in, and if you're a healthy 35 year old, your chances of death are like, you know, less than a car accident or things that we, you know, we assume risk on a day to day basis. Mm. Like, one of the interesting things has been to watch the, the split between like people who, who, who seem to think that we, that lockdowns are um, the way forward and that like, you know, we have to, you know, take every measure necessary and, you know, that, that basically that we all have to sacrifice like our freedom in order to, to save it, to save um, the, the, the vulnerable people, basically. And the, the split has been, been really, really not like exactly, but it's been almost along like party lines. Um, do, do you think that's also the Trump effect? Um, or do you think that that kind of speaks to something a little like, I don't know, more philosophical in in their like I, belief systems yeah i think it's the trump i do think the trump effect is a lot of it i the it just doesn't make any sense i mean we we have numbers we have we know what's going on here everybody is not going to die if we take uh you know if we take a more swedish type approach or the approach florida has taken now so i i think what's part of what's gone on is just a complete loss of rationality. Um, 
and and as you sort of observed, um, uh, an association of morality, which with taking this position, which I consider the lockdown position immoral. I think it um, it's oppressive of especially young people, children are they're the ones who are losing these crucial years of their lives, um, being told, being punished and judged for engaging in the most natural behaviors that are really important to their development, socializing, um, playing with each other and hindered, unhindered. Um, I really disagree with masks as well. I think there's like very little evidence to support them. And I think that they're particularly bad for children and their cognitive development. Um, so I consider the lockdowners position um, immoral in and of itself. And I don't, uh, I, I don't understand how any rational or reasonable person can think that it's moral to look at only one problem and to discount all of the effects of of um, of approaching it in such a myopic way. Yeah, I mean it's a little strange. Like from from like a legal standpoint, like I mentioned, you say in your in your Twitter bio that you think that the lockdowns are a violation of human rights. Do you have like a a more like specific legal explanation for that? Yeah, sure. I mean, in the, I I don't know exactly what your constitution is like, but I think a lot of what uh, lockdowns are doing are unconstitutional. I mean, they're depriving us of we have the right, you know, freedom of assembly. Um, a lot of you, there are a lot of issues with religious gatherings, which have actually been successfully challenged um i you know you uh the government can't just take your property without any due process and that's what's happened here i mean if you can't run your business for a year you're essentially being deprived of your property you're also being deprived of your right to earn a living so, uh, so these things are so fundamental that i don't think that the constitution even contemplates them i don't think that the founders ever thought <laughs> the government's going to tell people Sorry, you just can't earn a living for a year or two, maybe. Um, it's it's stunning to me. I mean, not to mention, I mean, there's a internationally recognized right for children to obtain an education. Children in New York City haven't been in school. Most children haven't really been in school in a year. The teachers' unions are threatened not to come back until fall of 2022. So that will have been a total of two and a half years. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Wait, is that is that serious? Are they actually like saying they're not coming back? Like they're not coming back. They mean like full classes in school buildings until yeah, fall of twenty twenty two. there there's some indication they're going to refuse to come back until all children are vaccinated. And we know there's not going to be a vaccine for children, as there shouldn't be a vaccine for children <laughs> because the virus poses no danger to them, and they don't, you know, uh, they don't. We know they don't spread it very very much. Right. So. Yeah, that's like how how uh, what what's happening with that battle? Are they, are they like are they threatening to go on strike or? Yeah, I mean they're just saying they won't come back. They're extremely powerful in, the, in in New York City. They're extremely powerful. If they won't come back, there's not much anyone can do about it. As both the mayor and governor have learned the hard way, <laughs> and the people of of the city of New York, um, it's really unbelievable. Wow. And is it just New York where the teachers unions are threatening something like that? Or is there a more like nationwide movement? Going oh, there it's, yeah, it's happening in other, it's a big problem in California, Chicago, I think is that, you know, I, I pay the most attention to New York since I live here, but it's, it's a problem in many, many blue states now. Um, and I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, so, so we mentioned there before, or you, you kind of touched on the idea that, that it was like a way that the, a lot of the rules were perhaps a way for people to, 
I don't know, feel either safe or, or virtuous because they're expressing these like these views because they think it's for the benefit of everyone or it's because it's the antithesis of what Donald Trump wants. Um, like, do, do you think there is like an element of, of people wanting to get on their high horse where you see like lectures like on, on public transport or, or places like, do you think there is like an element of virtue signaling in there? Or do you think like it's, it's genuine, like either fear or concern from these people? Um, I think both. I think there's so much virtue signaling. <laughs> I, so I don't, um, in New York City, most people wear masks uh, outside on the street and everybody walks a lot in New York. I don't. And I'm, you'll probably see, if you walked around New York City all day, you would probably see me and one other person who wasn't wearing a mask on the street. So really? Off, oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody wears them. And I don't, you know, um, some uh, fewer people wear them exercising. So you'll see runners a little bit more often, but most runners wear them. Um, and I run without a mask and people get very upset. There's something about the idea of <laughs> breathing heavily near them or something. But uh, I, so people constantly go up to me um, and tell me. And it, so I, and I also sometimes just don't wear a mask on the subway, even though it's the rule that you have to. I just see how much I can get away with it because I think it's really important to rebel. Um, and unless more people start saying, I'm not doing this, <laughs> um, it's never going to, these mandates are never going to be repealed. But I yes, I think a lot of people really enjoy feeling superior to other people, and that's the impression I get. Um, because that's that's the that's been the suggestion of of a few people. I saw Michael Malice, um, the the kind of anarchist. I don't know exactly how you would describe him, um, like talking about it, and he was basically just like it's a way for for powerless people to feel powerful, and that's like I, that that for me, it's definitely got to be some of it. Like, uh, like the the best bit is when I've seen a few videos where people are like really terrified that someone's not wearing a mask, so they come up really close to them and let them <laughs> and stand there and shout at them for a while. And you just go if 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 it was all about fear, you probably wouldn't be standing beside them. <laughs> I I actually a few months ago I was on the New Jersey Transit and they had a new rule that you couldn't you could no longer drink water because you have to take your mask off. So the conductor would announce every um, few minutes, you cannot take your mask off. You cannot drink water on the New York City Transit anymore because to do so, you have to take your mask off. And at some point, the train just stopped and the same conductor, I recognized his voice, um, came up to a guy in front of me and, sa and said, you have to get off the train. And the guy was like, what? And he's like, you're not wearing your mask properly. I saw you before not wearing it properly. You're not wearing it properly. Now get off. And the guy was like, look, we're like between stops. The next train doesn't come for an hour. Please don't kick me off the train, I'll wear the mask. And the conductor wouldn't, this, this went on for half an hour. And so a train full of people was held up for this. And I could see the conductor was getting so much joy out of, uh, out of this. And he was getting so much joy out of this announcement. Um, so I, I think you're really onto something. And so you get to, you get to have power other over, ugh, over other people and you get to do it on, on the guise of being virtuous and being better. And he was this, in any other, Context, this would be recognized as just bullying. It's just bullying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm so confused. So they actually held up a train of, thir of, of like, I don't know, however many hundred people for yeah. like 30 minutes for this yeah. one guy who's, who wasn't wearing his mask correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what was like was what was the reaction from the people on the train? Like, were they well, getting mad at the conductor or were, were they like cheering him on or? 
they were mad at the guy that he had that he had done this and like there was an old woman who was like my granddaughter's waiting for me my granddaughter's waiting for me please move the train like <laughs> but they he ended up getting the police and the police escorted the guy i mean this is real <laughs> My friend, I was texting my friend and she was like, take a video, take a video. I was like, no, then they're going to kick me off. <laughs> I'm not going to take the video. <laughs> oh, this is so crazy. The police came. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is, it's stories like this that make me mad when people are like, oh, you know, this isn't a police state. You're, you're being ridiculous. And you're like, like at what point, you know, like, what yeah. point do you start thinking like, what is with the, 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 the willingness of people to, to, to like, I can't believe people weren't mad at the conductor. Like, yeah. I would be furious. I'd be like, you cost me 30 minutes because of your, your crusade. Like, just let him wear the mask wrong. Uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, the, it's, been, it's been a revealing year, I think, in terms of um, seeing how perhaps tolerant people are of other people's views once it's, like, something that, like, is theoretically affecting every aspect of her society like it used to be probably easier to ignore someone's views on things and it's kind of like yeah. thrust in our face at the minute for for, for probably a whole, whole number of reasons but like is the has the pandemic changed the way you've looked at like any any like major issues or like the, your view on the world like the just the last year have you like changed your mind on anything big oh wow yeah it's changed my mind on everything <laughs> <laughs> i never would have thought that most people especially in western democracies would accept this sort of impingement on their freedom and would be willing to and happy to enforce it against others. Um, I'm utterly shocked at the uh, lack of empathy for poor people, for the people who this is affecting the most. Um, I mean, this is not so bad if you're a white collar professional like me. I My life is actually better. <laughs> I have more freedom. I, I often go work from you know other places like AIER. Um, I can you know travel when I want and just take my laptop and get work done. Um, and I have more money because <laughs> I'm not doing as much. So um, I'm fine. Uh, and I think there are a lot of people who actually like this and that's why they're, you know, it's easier, it's just easier. Um, but this is really harming working people. This is harming poor people much, much more. So I'm just, I can't believe the extent to which people either don't recognize it or don't, or, or who ostensibly care about poor people don't really. Um, and I've also been shocked at the intolerance towards myself. I mean, I've lost countless friends and family members over this. They don't want to talk to me. Um, and it, it, I admit it's some, it's hard for me to talk to them sometimes because they're, <laughs> what can you say? As you say, it affects every uh, aspect of life. And I know they disapprove because I hang out with people indoors and I try to act, live my life as normally as I can. So, um, and then, you know, if they actually had many incidents where I was just with trying to meet up with a group of friends in the park, because when it was warm, some people would be willing to meet outdoors and they just start going on about how awful it is when someone won't wear a mask or can you believe someone had an indoor party? And I'm like, well, like I'm the person you're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have anything to say. Yeah, I mean, it's become it's become really strange. Like to quit, like if to question anything has become like the most scandalous thing ever, and and that that's that's really like weirds me out. Like it used to be, 
like pe- like skeptics and like people who who were good at challenging conventional wisdom used to be like revered yeah yeah you know like the 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 sort of quirky like characters who would say you know like uh, be not outrageous things but like things way outside the box and people used to like adore those kinds of people like especially if you go back like i don't know 30 40 years like you get people like like david bowie he was like He's still a legend today because of he was, you know, thought outside the box. And and it seems like the, we've got this the walls closing in on anything that that kind of counters the 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 accepted narrative on on anything. Like there was do you know um Brett Weinstein? He he had this campaign, the Articles of Unity, um, to try and get like people to not vote third party in America. Um, and he was involved in some like deplatforming stuff at um the at, ooh, evergreen state university or evergreen state college but anyway he was like talking in april or may about the possibility that the that covid was like made in a lab or was uh, altered or studied in a lab and had escaped from a lab and he was like pointing to like certain characteristics of it that he said like maybe indicate it and people called him a nutcase and then like nine months later it turns out that might be might be the case like it still might not be but like it's re- like what do you think it is about covid that makes like people shut down like any anything that's like counter the 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 official like story because there's a super dangerous place to be in when he was saying something that has now turned out to be like maybe true but was called a crazy man and like people were you know saying he should be deplatformed for saying it I don't know in a way I think that this is what I guess more of a symptom than a cause of that mentality I I feel as though we've gotten more and more politically divided and intolerant of others views and I you know I'd, I'd encountered sort of this type of mentality over the past few years from um, friends and colleagues where I had an opinion that wasn't popular about. I have very strong views on, you know, free speech and what's happened with the campus uh, speech. You know, I think basically we should be hearing even views that are important to us and um, people shouldn't be canceled. And I, so that's an area where I've clashed a lot. And I, I voiced those opinions and then people refused to speak to me again. So, um, so this, the sort of intolerance I've experienced with respect to my COVID views was sort of uh, the climax almost. And so I think that this is just the way that our society is going. I don't know if I want to say just just the US or it's sort of more, it's common in Europe as well. But um, for some reason, there's just such a deep political divide. And we've just, and, you know, we've sort of um, attributed morality to, which I, I think sort of goes back to what you were saying we've started to imbue views about these things with someone's moral character. And I think that that's a problem. Um, Whether or not you think that somebody should be allowed to speak on, um, you know, Stanford's campus, I think that reasonable people could differ and have different views on that. But we've decided to say, well, you're a bad person because you think this, you're a bad person because you question whether masks work. And um, I think we've been going there for a long time and now we're really here and we're in a kind of scary place. How much do you think social media is to blame for that that kind of like lack of tolerance for other people's views? Yeah, I think social media is a huge part of it. I think it's um it's very if I think people have become very it's so easy to be nasty to somebody when you don't see them face to face. Um, and so I think that that has sort of increased this divide. Not to mention you can just 
say whatever you want with, you know, there's just so much information and a lot of it is completely <laughs> crazy. And so it's just kind of, um, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of polarized things even more than, mm. than, than we were before. Mm. So I, it's too bad. I thought it might be a good thing, you know, just making, uh, you know, you can share information much more easily, but I think it's, I think it's been by and large negative. And then if, there, if we didn't have social media, we probably wouldn't be where we are with, with the coronavirus stuff. Yeah, potentially not. I mean, um, for like a very brief detour into it, like I talk about this in my book, actually, um, shameless plug, um, <laughs> where, uh, and I talk a lot about how we can kind of get like fixed into our own uh, like little information bubbles and the way the the filters um, the filter bubbles work and the, the way the algorithms push us towards things that like sort of confirm our, our bias or make us really really angry there's there's no like middle ground like in terms of what algorithms tend to recommend it's always like the extreme and it yeah. tends to like keep us like hold in these little communities where we're only seeing like the most extreme version of the other side of the argument that's popping up because it makes people mad basically or you're seeing like the extreme confirmation of like your own side of the side of the argument where and where there seems to be this like constant competition to like be the most extreme um yeah. for you know for the most like like i don't know maga points or the most woke points or or whatever whatever the issue is you know you get the most like i don't know making the libs cry or you get the most like shutting trump down points and 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 it works in the same in the same way i think with like the the masks and the, the the lockdowns and everything where people just they 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 either see people saying you know this is terrifying we have to lock down until 2035 bill gates says so or you get um, or you get like someone showing you like some some guy who's like concocted this like huge diagram as to why disney released uh the why disney has created like a fake coronavirus in order to to take over like dc comics and rule the entire the entire you know comic book cinematic universe like you only see the crazy stuff and you don't see like the normal people and it's like making us all mad i think yeah uh, yeah so like one of the one of the interesting um points that like the it's it's your twitter ha twitter handle like le lefty lockdown skeptic and and it's been interesting for me to watch like the division and we talked about like generally across society but on the left especially and and to me it kind of looks like you're you're separating like the lefties from like the classical liberals like the people who would have been probably quite centrist but like believe in the ideas of the left because the overton window has been shifted so far right but like as soon as something where they're they're like trying to argue for say like freedom of speech or something along those lines or you know just freedom of assembly or anything that's being violated right now that they're kind of being cut aside from the the majority of the left like to would you say that's accurate yeah i think that's accurate and i i guess I, at this point i would probably describe myself more as a classical liberal I, either i've changed or <laughs> <laughs> i've just realize there's a lot I don't agree with on the, on the left and their approach to all of this. Um, but yeah. I mean, like, I find the same thing that I've kind of like, I've like, like almost redefined my politics as like thinking that maybe I'm probably quite close to a classical liberal, even though like my friends constantly make fun of how left wing I am. And it's, it's, it's like this year has been really strange in, in like the really fundamentally disagreeing with a lot of people who 
I used to think could do no wrong, essentially. Um, and not that I don't still believe in a lot of their causes, but like just like when did you realize that that you were not in the majority like after after the initial kind of chaos had calmed down and people started to get more of a grasp on what this was say around like april may time like when did you realize that you were still like heavily in the minority um yeah i'd say april or may uh, i started one of the things that i think really um made me question so i mean i read the new york times or i used to read the new york times a lot because it's an npr like all good liberals <laughs> Hmm. in the United States and then New York Times really early on took like a very strong pro-lockdown position and then shortly thereafter pro-mask position and um I was suspicious because I was just like like how do you know that this is the right thing to do you know it's March 15th or something and I actually I wrote this in an article but like very quickly um one day masks were, you shouldn't wear masks and the next day you should. And the New York Times knew for sure that every good person wore a mask. Um, and I, I was like, I mean, it's one thing to say, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe you should try it. It's another thing to sort of all of a sudden you're a terrible person if you don't want to wear a mask. Um, so I think when I saw this and the certainty with which these views were being uh, embraced very early on, I realized I was different from the people around me who were like, well, the New York Times says so. So like, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, uh, the coverage of Sweden was another thing that really tipped me off to something going on here that wasn't really just about the science, as they say. Um, you know, they, they ran, the Times ran an article on probably around April 7th or something saying, calling Sweden a catastrophe, obviously a catastrophe. And I was like, this is, this is like a long-term strategy. You know, you can't look on April 7th and say, well, Sweden now has more coronavirus deaths per capita, so therefore they were a failure. <laughs> I mean, that's absurd. They're like, we're talking about this, uh, something that probably will take years or decades to know the effects of. So, um, so, so I just really saw that this wasn't being covered in a way that made any sense to me. And, and so I started to look outside of that pretty early April, May, um, and I came across people like, Jeffrey Tucker and Alex Berenson and uh, some of the scientists, Martin Kuldorf, um, John Unitas, and just realized, you know, the whatever, however the Times was marketing this, this wasn't the only view and there was more going on. And I just continued to do more, more and more research and can just part ways more and more with everybody else I knew. Well, and they also, I mean, something that was really telling to me was they wouldn't listen to me when I tried to, uh, explain like, oh, well, I've been reading this woman, Sinatra Gupta, and she has a different view, and this is what she says, and she's a great theoretical epidemiologist at Oxford. They're like, well, she's wrong. <laughs> like, uh, okay. <laughs> to what extent do you think the media abs are absolutely loving this? I mean... I think they're loving it. This is what gets them clicks. They've tried it many times before. You know, they tried it with the bird flu and the slime flu and the this and the, you know, other sorts of catastrophes, terrorism. They love getting people riled up. And for some reason, this one stuck. In previous years, it seemed like somehow, you know, um, hysteria was sort of um, tamped down to a reasonable level or whatever. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what, what differed. Maybe it was Trump, maybe it was social media, maybe it was uh, just the increasing polarization in the country, maybe all of those things. I think there, I don't know, it was just some kind of perfect storm. And now we've gotten to some place where everybody is so stuck in their view and so irrational, I don't see 
how this is ever going to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of people have doubled down. Like, there's there's no way for a politician to stand up now if they've been like pro lockdown for say a year, even even yeah. So say say they like turn around and go, actually, you know, at this point, this is causing a lot more damage than good. We need to stop this. They can't just like turn around and well, maybe they could. They can't just turn around and stand up and be like, "Yep, yeah, we were wrong. Sorry, my bad." Like that 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 doesn't work. Like they, they don't they don't stand up and admit they were wrong. No, <laughs> that's like, the, I mean I, I suspect that's and but the New York Times also isn't going to admit it was wrong. You know, this is like a huge paper that staked its reputation on how lockdowns are the cure all and the only way to go about this. They can't at this point you know acknowledge anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had the same thing. So I was I was in Austria for a few months there, um, hoping to work, but it didn't work out. But they uh, they started they brought in this thing where you have to wear the FFP two like a like a like oh. a, a proper like a like a really uh, like a higher grade mask like that was mandatory on um, buses and in shops and everything. And uh, like for me, it was just like so. Wait, hang on. The other ones don't work. Like these ones you've been telling us to wear for like six months, like are you just saying they don't work now? Like, uh, and I kind of thought maybe that would that would like like click something and people go, hmm, maybe maybe they were lying about, maybe they were kind of lying about it, or I don't know. And everyone just sort of like accept it. And I was in the supermarket like the next day after the after the, the day the day when when the old masks became unsafe. Um, and uh, like I didn't have one of the new ones yet I had to get what well, I still had to get it anyway I was like shopping and like this woman came over to me and was like you know you shouldn't have the you should have the the new mask on you know it's just really dangerous and I was like hang on if this was 24 hours ago you wouldn't have said a thing and now like the- <laughs> well now they're I don't know if they're doing it over there too but you know they're doing the, the double and triple masking um so I think that's hilarious. That's really similar, in my opinion. Instead of admitting, you know, the masks don't work, they're like, no, it's just that you didn't have enough of them. If you have three, then it'll work. And they, they even try to come up with these percentages. One mask provides 50% protection. Two provides 73%. Three provides 94%. Like, I don't know who believes this other nonsense. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, what, did we just lose all, like, rationality? But, I mean... Like people, people have always been skeptical of the media. I don't like. I, I've been trying to work out why people have like just, just everything that is said in the media now is like gospel. Whereas yeah. before, like if you gone back a year and you said, yeah, do the media have an agenda? And like, are they probably lying about at least some of the stuff, or like framing it in a way to like boost their profits or not, not annoy their donors or or shareholders or or advertisers? Everyone would have just said, well, yeah, obviously. But now, yeah. if you suggest that there's any corruption whatsoever in the, the, the way that they're presenting like their message, it's, it's like, you're a COVID denier. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I don't, here, I think there was, there is a lot of trust on the media on the left. Uh, sorry, like the left wing media, the Times, whatever. Um, yeah. And, and mistrust of the mainstream media is heavily associated with being a Trump supporter or being a right winger. So I think that plays a role. Um, and so when I say things like, you know, the Times is not presenting this honestly, they think I've somehow turned into, I don't know, Sean Hannity over. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I like to think that they're all lying. It's a much easier way to be. 
Uh, and they're just, you know, they're all lying about different things and for different reasons. <laughs> but yeah, like the you, you kind of mentioned like the coverage of Sweden um, and at the UK at home, like we haven't really something I've noticed that we like we don't compare our own responses very much to like other places who have like wildly different results. Um, and if we do, it's it's quite often to like disparage them. Although the UK, I, I feel like some people in the UK are almost like really enjoying the fact that they can blame the government for so many deaths, even though there's now like talk that the death figures were were sort of poorly counted or or inflated due to like bad testing, and the, yeah. because and there's a there's a court case potentially going to be filed where like like families who weren't able to spend their last moments with like with one of their dying relatives because they thought they had covid and it turns out now maybe they didn't um is yeah i'm going to be interested to watch how that that um, court case plays out but like basically the the coverage of other other options for like how the rules are, are laid out or how to deal with covid is kind of is very undercovered and, I, and like one of the one of the things that i've been really sh- stunned about is that florida has just been like completely unmentioned basically in any of the media stuff that i've seen like it could be it could be different in the states but that's that's kind of where where i was going like is has has there been coverage of florida on like mainstream news have people been talking about it or is it sort of just a right on much um, at all, and uh, I, I suspect it's because it's a, it's a great counterexample. Actually, my colleague uh, at AIER, Amelia Janaski, wrote a really great article. Uh, everybody should read comparing um, Florida and California's numbers because they're sort of they're similar climate. Um, and Florida actually has obviously an older population on average, and their numbers are about the same. Um, <laughs> and can't there? She sort of goes through all the various factors, but. There's really, and it, uh, for people who don't know, California locked down really heavily. They've been, I have a brother who lives in San Francisco, they've been basically under some form of house arrest for like a year. It's insane. Um, there's, they even, they banned outdoor dining at some point. They've been under stay at home orders for many, many of the months out of the year. Um, and then Florida has been basically open since, I forgot exactly when they opened. Uh, it was maybe September. They've been basically completely open. Um, and their numbers are now, I think, a little bit better, actually. So I think they're number 27 out of 50 um, in terms of deaths per million in the US. Or yeah. That's what I read a, th- a day or two ago. Yeah, and I mean, if you look, if you look at the data, lockdowns just aren't correlated with uh, with death rate at all. And you can, you know, look at all sorts of different factors like the age of the population, seasonality, whatever, whatever. But it's just, it's clear that it just doesn't really work. It's, because, first of all, it's contrary to human nature. People are just not gonna not socialize for a year or two years. That's simply not gonna happen. So you can't make public policy that's, that's based on you know, uh, the opposite of how humans are meant to behave. Uh, that just doesn't work. And in any event, essential workers, so like people who are delivering your groceries, people who are cooking your food from the restaurants where you're getting your uh, takeout delivered from, those people are all going to work. Those people are all interacting with other people throughout their workday. We're just shifting the burden onto them and protecting white collar professionals so they can use them. Yeah, I mean, I again, that's that's an argument that I've I've not heard. But uh, do you want to do you want to like give us the the like left wing lockdown skeptic like argument in a in a nutshell? Sure. Um, I mean, I believe very strongly that the that lockdowns are harming poor people by far the most. Um, they're harming poor 
children who can't get proper education, rich kids, rich parents, or even middle-class parents can send their kids to private schools. The private schools, by the way, are open, they have been open for a long time. It's the public schools that are closed. So it's the poor children who are falling, falling behind, obviously larger percentage minority children. People in developing countries um, are, the, uh, the figure is 130 million additional people are facing starvation, death by starvation possibly, because of supply chain disruptions due to lockdowns worldwide. Because as I mentioned before, we live in a very interconnected global world. And when the first world just stops doing things, <laughs> that has effects in countries like Somalia or you know, Rwanda or whatever, India. Um, and so, so, so those uh, starvation, potential starvation deaths can be directly traced to lockdowns in first world countries. Um, you know, we've, we've removed, removed humanitarian aid, so a lot of people aren't getting tuberculosis, measles vaccines, uh, malaria treatment. Those cause millions and millions of deaths per year in third world countries, especially that we're going to see go up, go up drastically. So, um, I mean, the people who are benefiting the most from this are uh, upper middle class, mostly white people <laughs> in first world countries, and the people who are being harmed are poor people. And they're not being harmed for any good reason because lockdowns don't work. Well, that's yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty. I, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't really argue with with anything you've you've said there. But I mean, like, what what would you say to people who who then come up? Because I hear this argument all the time. Like, someone says this, me, for example, sometimes to people, and they say, "Yeah, but if we opened up, the deaths would just skyrocket again." Like, well, no, that's not true because we have Florida, we have Sweden, we have counterexamples. Um, many countries around the world show that that's not true. We know that this is a, a virus that primarily uh, poses a significant risk to the elderly um, and people with certain comorbidities. But again, uh, you know, a lot of the arguments of, against the Gray Barrington Declaration, which was written by three scientists uh, suggesting something called focus protection, where we um, sort of let society go back to normal with some resources directed towards uh, protecting those who are at risk. So the counter is often, well, 40% of, of the people in the US are vulnerable. If you count people with obesity, et cetera. Well, that, that's a comorbidity, but if you're an obese 20-year-old, your chance of death is still really, really low. You probably don't need to actually be considered in the vulnerable um, population. So we know that this really poses a risk primarily to people who are um, very old and very ill health. And that's not to say it should be ignored. I'm not saying we should just forget it, um, but we can uh, we can open we can we could go back to normal and we could devote our resources to programs to one way or another protect those people. So, what do you think is going to be the biggest um, like unintended uh, unintended consequence of of the of the lockdowns? Oh, I think there are going to be so many, but I think what we've done to children is going to be the most <laughs> the worst. Um, I, people keep saying children are resilient, but you know we never forced isolation and um, taken education away from millions and millions of school children worldwide. And um, I don't think that that's going to have <laughs> good effects on this generation. And, you know, there, there are crazy things happening. Canada just had, uh, I forgot exactly where it was, but Canada had something uh, suggested that children should be quarantined in their rooms for 14 days if they've been, they've been exposed to the virus or someone around them. And they're talking about, they said children of basically any age, they're talking about like three-year-olds, I locking them in their room for, for two weeks. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if this is what we're doing to kids. I God knows what's going to happen to that generation. <laughs> when you just look at all of it, I mean, even, 
even the smaller part where it's just, you know, you can't play with your friends for two years. Three years is a long time in a child's life. And yeah, it's, this is, of all the things that concern me about this, and there are many, that's it's the children that <laughs> really <sighs> disturbing, I think. Yeah. Are you hopeful for anything to end on a positive note here? Oh, um, <laughs> one of my colleagues at AIER is writing a book called, uh, well, he does like compilations of essays called Coronavirus and the New Hope. And you know, he keeps saying, well, I hope one of your essays will will make it into this one. And then I write one and he's like, oh, gee, man. <laughs> you're so pessimistic. <laughs> None of your essays have any hope. So um, I'm not super hopeful. I'm not, I think. Uh, uh, I, what I've seen is tells me um, very bad things about the place that we're in, and I think uh, absent some real um, change in people's ability to think, to think rationally, and to tolerate dissenting views, and to consider dissenting views, um, that things aren't going to change very much. So I, I, I hope people really start to open their minds. And I also want to say, by the way, I. Um, I always think about the opposite argument, and I often question myself and say, like, have I gotten too entrenched? And then I try, okay, what if, what are the arguments against me? You know, and I think through them again, and I still always come out on the anti-lockdown side. So, um, I really think it's important to do that, to really interrogate yourself and ask why you hold these beliefs and, um, and what the opposite arguments are. And do I really find them compelling? Well, that's a good message to end on. People do consider what, what the other side of the argument says and um, yeah, try and understand people's opinions before you dismiss them as a crackpot. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Jane, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. People can follow you on Twitter. Uh, what's your handle? It's Lefty Lockdowns One, I think. That was okay. because I didn't think through the name. <laughs> I didn't tell <laughs> about Twitter. So I was like, Lefty Lockdown Skeptic, and then it got shortened to lefty lockdown <laughs> so it sounds like i'm pro lockdown <laughs> lefty lockdown okay well i will uh link that in the description below for for everyone so uh yeah thank you very much thank you thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe follow me on twitter or sign up to our mailing list thanks a lot to our sponsor expressvpn the number one most trusted vpn get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.